Genesis chapter 44 is where we are this morning. Uh, I'm not going to read the chapter because we'd have to read the chapter and go home. It's so long. But uh, I hope you're reading ahead. And, of course, this is a familiar story. We're looking at the life of Joseph. I will read the verse, first eight verses of, of chapter 45 a little later. But uh, we really have been seeing the providence of God at work, haven't we? And how God, by His grace and His mercy, changes people. Um, let me ask you, is God changing you? Uh, he's still changing me, and uh, he will do so until we die. Now, as somebody said this morning, we're a work in progress. And uh, so I just hope that that's your prayer, is that uh, your prayer would be, uh, change my heart, O oh God. Change my heart. Not the person next to me, boy, please work on my wife or, you know, or my husband or my kids, you know, they're terrible. No, work on me, oh Lord. You can only change yourself. Uh, you can't do that. God has to do it by the power of his Holy Spirit. But, but anyway, we saw last week uh, the wonderful mercy and grace on the part of Joseph. Uh, what a gracious man. And, of course, he, I think, is a type of Christ uh, in uh, Genesis here. And uh, he really demonstrated a Christ-likeness towards his brothers, as we should do to our brothers and sisters as well. Now, in chapter 44, uh, Joseph is still not done with play-acting, though. We find he's got one more test to his brothers. Uh, and uh, we've seen, I think, and he saw how God had changed uh, their ways, their treatment of Benjamin, how they spoke of their father, uh, their brokenheartedness, and so forth, and, uh, and how he had blessed Benjamin, but they did not uh, uh, see favoritism and say, well, why didn't he treat us that way? No, Joseph really saw a change of heart and his brothers. And, uh, but Joseph now, in, in chapter 44, as they're leaving, the money again is put back in their sacks and they have all the food they need. But he's got one more test for them, and that is he puts his, or has his uh, interpreter uh, put the silver cup, his silver cup, in Benjamin's sack. And after they leave, he, they are pursued, overtaken, and arrested for stealing the cup and brought back to Egypt. And uh, Judah, again, speaking for his brothers, pleads for mercy to Joseph. And Joseph, of course, breaks down then emotionally and seeing their love for their father and Benjamin and feeling guilt of what they had done to Joseph himself he reveals himself to his brothers. And they were just absolutely speechless. You can imagine if you had been there and that had happened to you, it would, it would uh, take you back. Uh, rather startled, I would think. But uh, not only that, but Joseph wants to send for Jacob and the family to come, and they do, and they live in the land of Goshen. And, of course, that's where... 
they are enslaved by, in the future by a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph and uh, Moses comes along and the rest of the story. But, but anyway, uh, that's kind of an overview of, of chapter 44. I think I almost could have read it quicker, but, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, I want to look at some observations again from this chapter as we uh, study God's Word together. Um, you know, I think Joseph really did overstep his bounds here. I think he uh, probably went too far. He knew that their hearts had been changed, but he wanted to present this one last ten, uh, uh, trial to them. And I think it's all of our uh, temptation sometimes uh, to manipulate, to, to, uh, to make sure, to, maybe to get our way, uh, to, to take advantage of a situation. And I think he, him putting the cup in Benjamin's sack was probably going a little too far. Although he wanted to make sure, I understand, that their hearts really had been changed. But uh, I think we all have a tendency sometimes to take things too far. And sometimes we even do it for glee, which is sad. Remember, this is a dysfunctional family, as all families are dysfunctional in some way or another. Even though you may not agree, uh, it's true. And uh, even within a family, we seek to get our own way. Uh, but you know what? God can change people. God can change the hearts of people uh, to where they no longer want their own way. Joseph was not a perfect man, uh, and none of us are. He was a gracious man. And, uh, but like all uh, people... Sometimes we can throw our weight around. I hope I never do that from this pulpit. Uh, you examine everything I say by the word of God. Uh, my, uh, my goal is not for you to, to bow uh, in some way to something that does not line up with the, with the word of God. We find here in Genesis 44... In verses 2, it says, Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his uh, grain money. So I think that was a mistake. You know, also I think husbands and wives can throw their weight around as well. Uh, and we all have a tendency to do that. We can even say things like, I'll leave you if you don't agree to move to a certain place, uh, or if you don't allow me to have that car. Uh, we can give cold shoulders. We can even use tears to manipulate. Uh, sometimes we just cry. I, I use that at times, just tears, trying to get sympathy. Uh, cold shoulders, uh, we can use fake tears to, to punish each other. Kids are really good at that, are they not? I used to do that as a kid until my dad would say, if you don't shut up, I'm going to give you another spanking. And now, <gasps> tears would just cut off immediately, which means I was faking it 
I was faking it to get attention, and he realized that. But uh, it's interesting in, in the book of Proverbs, and this is what we have to remember about all of our hearts. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is or evil is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. You know, there's evil bound up in our hearts as well. Remember that. Remember that. You have not arrived. God is still changing you and uh, because we need to be changed. Uh, and again, if, if I ever make demands from you that aren't biblical, let me know. Come to me and say, I think you're making a demand there that the scripture isn't teaching. Matter of fact, that's already happened in the past, but uh, let me know. Second observation is found in verses 6 through 16. And that is, even when we are being falsely accused by man, we are being chastened rightfully by God. What do I mean? Uh, Judah's response was, God has uncovered the sins of your servants. We see that in verse 16 when he says, uh, Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord, slays both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Uh, Judah, of course, is referring not to the, the silver cup because they didn't take that. Judah is referring to the sin against Joseph. Uh, there's a, a truth. Be sure your sins will find you out. You cannot get away with sinning. Uh, it's like a, holding a snake in your bosom. It will bite because he says, the sins of your servants have been uncovered. Their, their guilt is coming back to haunt them. Judah's not admitting to stealing the cup, but he shows a great change of heart. Uh, I think we should defend ourselves when we're innocent, but we need to step back and see the bigger picture. That's what Judah does here. He steps back and sees the bigger picture. And he realizes that even though he's been falsely accused, it's because of what he did in the past and his sin against his brother. And uh, I think God has something to teach us all in trials. Uh, I know growing up, I got away with so much as a kid. And I remember one time being spanked for something I didn't do and how angry I was. But then, as I grew up and became a Christian, I realized, you know what? I deserved a whole lot more spankings than I got. I had a student recently, I, I may have mentioned this, out at the uh, Watermelon Festival, ran into to, uh, this young man, and uh, he's, he's a Christian now, and he said, I remember you spanked me. And I, I wasn't guilty of that. And I said, well, I'm sure sorry about that. He says, no. He said, I've done so much other bad things. I really deserved the spanking that I got. But I was innocent. And, uh, but uh, uh, 
Yes, I needed more spankings growing up. All of our trials, though, are for our good. False accusations will come. But how do we react to false accusations? Do we act self-righteous? You know, do we, do we do that? In verse 7, he said, Then they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Um, how could you ever think that of me? And the truth is, I'm even worse than you know. I'm even worse than you can ever imagine. My heart is deceitful above of all else and, and desperately w- wicked. Who can know it? Um, we could all tell of things that have happened in our lives um, that we're ashamed of. And people, beloved, only see the tip of the iceberg. Do they not? Just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to seeing our sinful hearts. I want you to be aware of just how big of a sinner you really are. We need to see that. You know, it's okay to say you're a big sinner because you have a big Savior. And he forgives you of all your sins. So you can be open and honest with others. I'm not saying not defend yourself, but you can say, you know what, I'm not guilty of that, but let me tell you what I am guilty of. And there's much that we could uh, say there. But sometimes we do suffer wrongly. First Peter 2, 19 and 21. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that we should follow uh, in its steps. Third observation. We see now, and that's found in verses 17 through 34, Judah is interceding. You know, we don't assume people are the same now as they were years ago. People change. God is changing me. Hopefully, I'm not the same person that I was eight or nine years ago when I started. I'm hoping that you see more Christ in me, that you see a, a, a more humbled person, a more broken person over my sin. God is changing us. And so we find Judah has really changed. And uh, age and experience should make us wiser. Age and experience should make us more like Christ. But it's sad because so many, I find, they almost become more bitter and so forth. But we see a real change, a real change. This is not the same Judah that he was 20 years earlier. He has repented and he has changed. 
Don't label someone and put them in a box because you knew them 20 years ago. And that's the way they were. You know, the Holy Spirit can really change people. He can change you. He's still changing me. Wow. One of the greatest examples in the scriptures where God changed somebody, can you think of who that might be? The Apostle Paul himself. Acts chapter 9, verses 16 and also verse 21. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And this is after Paul's experience on the Damascus Road and uh, completely changed man. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on, on street, uh, Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Boy, see what happens when God, when God changes? He's, in other words, he's really praying. Not just Pharisee prayers, but real prayer. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, on, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? You want me to go see this man? Wow, what a change took place in the life of Paul. So you've got to be willing to accept when somebody changes and love them and help them. Don't assume people will never change. You know, when I went off to, to college and I came back, my brother said, you've changed. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, for the good. And uh, matter of fact, so much so, he went to the same college and where he met his wife and all. And so, you know, when you change, you affect other people. When God the Holy Spirit works in you and is changing you, just like he did in Judah's life, he can do that in your life. I don't care. You may have been an unbeliever for 30 years. He can still save you and change you. He can make you a new creature in Christ. You know, ugly, nasty people like I was, in some ways probably still are, but he changed because I was growing up. I know you find that hard to believe, but or maybe not. But anyway, he will change you. Let me ask you, are you more like Christ today than you were 10 years ago? Ask somebody that. 
No, maybe you better not. It's a good thing to tell somebody. And I've done it before. I said, you know what? I have seen a real growth in your life. You're so much more like Jesus than the first time I met you. That's about as great a compliment as you can give anyone. And that's what's happened to these brothers in so many ways. We need to learn to esteem others better than ourselves and accept others for who they are and what God is doing in their life. He really does change people. The Holy Spirit is at work powerfully in the church. And then our actions in the present may have serious consequences long into the future. Our actions in the present may have serious consequences long into the future. So you better change. Of course, you can't change yourself. But I'm saying you need to pray, God, change me. Make me like Jesus because you are affecting other people, either for good or for evil. Think about it. It's interesting when the kingdom of Israel divided in in the time of the kings, uh, when they were divided, of course, into the northern kingdoms and the south, what two tribes made up the southern kingdom? Interesting. Judah and Benjamin. Judah is willing to take the place of Benjamin. Interesting, isn't it? Matthew Henry said, Judah's faithful adherence to Benjamin now in his distress was recompensed long after by the constant adherence of the tribe of Benjamin to the tribe of Judah when all the other tribes deserted it. Isn't that interesting? See, what goes on now will affect what happens into the future. What you do matters. It could be one thing you tell somebody that's going to change their life forever. It's hard to believe, but that's how God works. He works through us. God is in the changing business. Interesting, isn't it? What happened a hundred years prior between two people resulted in these two tribes standing together when the others had deserted. That's amazing. You know, it's interesting the way we affect people. I know at my party, it was family and uh, from all sides, which are a whole bunch of people. But when they sang happy birthday to me and blew the candles out and so forth, speech, 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 you know. the. You know. Well, anyway, I bragged on this person and that person, and, and uh, my brother had something to say. And he said, you know what, brother? And I said, what is that? He said, all these years you've been my hero. Now, that's amazing, considering how I treated him growing up. He says, you're my hero. 
Wow. What you're doing now will have repercussions in the future. When my dad, early on in, in our life as a family, I think I was a freshman in high school, he came and set the family down and he said, you know what, I've done this and I've done that and I've accomplished this and I've accomplished that. But he said, one thing I've done, I have left God out of our family. You know, when he confessed that sin, God started working in a most unbelievable and powerful way. Think about that. Remember, there is a cause and effect for either good or evil. You are responsible for your actions. You know, problems in the Middle East today can be traced back to what? Abraham taking Sarah's advice and sleeping with Hagar. There were serious consequences, and those consequences are still going on today. There's a ripple effect for things that we say and do. That's why we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Let me ask you, how do you view the church, the word of God, each other? How do you treat your wife, your husband, your kids? All of this is so important. You need to say, God, change me. Make me more like Jesus. And then, fifthly, how Judah so aptly illustrates the mediation of Christ. A real change had taken place in the life of Judah, and I mentioned that last week to some extent. We saw in chapter 43 how he became a surety for Benjamin, a substitute, one who takes the place or willing to take the place of Benjamin in prison to ensure his safety. Uh, in other words, Judah says in verses 33 and 34, chapter 44, let me take Benjamin's place. Let me take his place. Jesus is our substitute who took our place. Isn't that amazing? The type here we see in, 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 in Judah, willing to take Benjamin's place. We have Christ who took our place. Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Why? Because he took your wrath. He took your punishment. He was your substitute. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son, that is Jesus, will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Accept Christ, and you accept eternal life that's only found in him. Now I want to read very quickly 
verses, in verses 1 through 8 in uh, chapter 45, because it deals with uh, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Let this affect your heart. Then Joseph could not rest restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Now I want you to just picture that. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at it in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which they will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Let me say, God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. Amazing, amazing. He says in verse 5, did you see it? God sent me. Now, Joseph was not excusing their sin here. He's not saying it was okay uh, for what you did. Uh, it wasn't wrong because good came from it. That's not what he's saying. No, they're responsible. But Joseph has seen repentance, and so he comforts them. God was in this situation, and God meant it for good. You do not sin that grace may abound. And God is never to blame for evil. But God does use evil to accomplish his purpose. And he constantly brings good out of evil. Christ crucified is a perfect example of that. Are those people excused for crucifying him? Absolutely not. But the evil that did, what good came from it? Our salvation. God works in mysterious ways. Somebody said this, and I love it. Remember, God can draw straight lines with a crooked stick. God can draw straight lines with a crooked stick. We're all crooked sticks. And he can use us. You know, Paul says, after all my wickedness of the past and so forth. What does he say in Philippians 3? And I thought that was interesting. Andrew in the Sunday school class read this, uh, the, uh, the verses preceding this. He says, Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. In other words, God's still working on me. He's not through with me. The Apostle Paul said that. 
So he's not through with me, he's not through with you. Now you may think you've arrived, but you haven't. See, you're a bigger sinner than you can ever imagine you are. But God's grace is greater than you can ever imagine. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, we need to do that. No matter what your past is, forget it, but go forward. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenlyward in Christ Jesus. Wow. It's amazing God's grace and how he works in us, how he changes us. You know what we need to do is to stop trying and start trusting. So you're trying to make yourself better. You can't do that. Why? Because you're already perfect in Christ. What you need to do is start trusting more. You need to be looking to the God of providence who has a great plan that's mapped out for you. Why? Because you're special. You're special to him. Remember, God has a, a purpose in all your sins and all your mistakes. Does not excuse it, but he has a purpose. And it's by his stripes that we are healed. It's not by our beating ourselves up for the rest of our lives. Stop trying and start trusting. And then lastly, lastly, what is common grace but the incidental overflow of special grace? In verse 7 of, of 45, we read this. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Interesting. Let me ask you a question as we close and close to the end here. Was Israel saved because of Egypt? Or was Egypt spared and saved because of Israel? I think it's the latter. All the common grace was given to Egypt, all the food through Joseph. So why one little tiny nation, Israel, would be preserved? Why? Because through Israel, the Savior Jesus was coming. And the line had to be preserved. Through Abraham's seed, all the world would be blessed. All the world, with all its grandeur, exists for the salvation of God's elect, for his people. Now that's amazing. Think about it. God blesses the world in common ways to save his people in special ways. Are you a member of God's kingdom? Are you a member of the kingdom of this world? 
something to think about. Is God changing you? Romans 8, 29. For though... For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren and sisters, conformed to the image of his Son. See, that's what God wants in your life. He is changing you to make you more like Jesus. How much like Jesus do you look like? The world looks down on us, but not God. You're special to Him. Do you realize that you are special to God? You're in this church this morning. This church is special to Him. And He pours out His grace upon His church, upon His people. What did Joseph say? We're going to close with this. Come close to me. Did you see it? Come close to me. What does Jesus say? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That's what I want you to do this morning. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And you'll be saved. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are changing us, that you work in mysterious ways to do that, as you did in Joseph's life. And, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory for doing that because, Lord, we know that in our flesh dwells no good thing. It's by your grace we're saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, Lord, change our hearts. Lord, you are the potter. We're the clay. Mold us and make us, shape us like Jesus. In his name, amen.